If you would turn with me to Proverbs chapter 7. This morning I'd like to read through chapter 7 and see what the Word of God says to us today. So that's Proverbs chapter 7. The Word of God says, My son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablets of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. And call insight your intimate friend. To keep you from the forbidden woman from the adulteress with her smooth words. For at the window of my house I have looked out through my lattice, and I have seen among the simple, I perceived among the youths, a young man lacking sense, passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house in the twilight in the evening at the time of night and darkness." And behold, the woman meets him, dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. She is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the market, and at every corner she lies in wait. She seizes him and kisses him, and with a bold face she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices, and today I have paid my vows. So now I have come to meet you, to seek you eagerly, And I have found you. I spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egypt, or from Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. For my husband is not home. He has gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. At full moon, he will come home. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. All at once, he follows her. As an ox goes to the slaughter, or as a stag is caught fast, till an arrow pierces its liver, as a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. And now, O sons, listen to me. And be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your hearts turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths, for many a victim has she laid low. And all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, Thank you this day as, as in our culture we, we celebrate this week as a time of thanksgiving. And fa- Father, so often we focus on all the stuff that we have and, and family and friends, and yet Father, you are that which we should be most thankful for. Thankful for your goodness. Thankful for your purity thankful that you don't change thankful for your patience 
thankful for your kindness. Thankful that you know everything. Thankful that you are in control of everything. Thankful that you do, you work all things together for the good of those that know you, of those who are called according to your purpose. Thankful, Father, this morning for your word that we might know you. Thankful that, that your word says this is eternal life, that we know you. Not just that we are pious, not just that we are good people, of which we aren't. Not just that we check boxes, not just that we give to the poor, not just that we come to church on Sunday, but eternal life is this, that we know you. And Father, you reveal yourself to us through your word. And for that, Father, we should be eternally thankful. Now, Father, we would ask that your word would do its work in our hearts. That it would chip away at the stoniness. That it would chip away at our pride that it would chip away at our stubbornness. Father, would you give us understanding today that, Father, we might glorify you for your name's sake. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Well, this morning I have much scripture because I want, I want to go through this Twice, and the first time, um, I want to look at the surface of it, the 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 what what appears to be on or what is on the outside, and I'm going to go through that quickly because we've done that before. It, it's been a few years ago, um, and for you young men, uh, that was at Kenny's several years ago. I also preached on this um, in a in a young men fashion. Um, so, and I'm sure in the future we'll do it again. But let's let's go quickly through uh, what's here on the surface. Uh, first off, Proverbs seven verses one through two says, "My son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye." We're we're started in this proverb or in this chapter of Proverbs, uh, reminding us that God's Word must be central to our life. It must be treasured up within us. It must be saw as the apple of your eye. I, I really appreciate what um, an analogy that Ray Comfort uses often um, when people claim they don't value their life. They don't care if they go to hell. And, and he always directs it back to, well, would you sell your eye for a million dollars? One of your eyeballs. Would you sell it for a million dollars? We'll put a glass one in. No one will know any difference. Would you do that? And sometimes, not regularly, but sometimes people say, well, yeah, I'd sell, I'd sell one of my eyes for a million dollars. And so he'll carry it forward and he will say, would you sell them both for $10 million? And to my knowledge, I have never heard one person say they would do that. Why? Because our eyes are precious. They're valuable. And yet our eyes are merely the windows to our soul. 
So how can we say we don't value our soul, we don't value our life, if we in turn value our eyes? It is, it is contradictory. And we come to this in this text, it's saying to value God's Word, to value His commandments as the apple of your eye. In a sense, value it like you value your eye. Because God knows you value your eye. Keep His teaching as the apple of your eye. Devote your eye to it. Now, some of you young people, you don't understand this as well um, because our culture is a little different than it was even 50 years ago. But I remember my mom several times telling me that when she was a kid at Christmas time, one of the highlights of Christmas is at Christmas time they would get an orange. And you say, I don't even like oranges. What's she talking about? Apples were different. Oranges were different. They were the equivalent of a smarty or a dum-dum that I see people diving after and I take great joy in throwing at you. When uh, to, to a young child, you could say, God is saying to keep His teaching as the smarty of your eye. That this is what would draw you. This is what, this is what I hope none of you come to Sunday school just for that. But this is, this is what would make you, motivate you to get up and get to Sunday school and want to read or to answer a question because you're going to get, in a sense, the apple of your eye. Is God's Word that to you? Are you keeping God's teaching as the apple of your eye? That's what the author is telling us here. And continuing says to bind them on your fingers and write them on the tablet of your heart to bind them on the finger on your fingers it means to apply them to put them to your to practice to your work to live them out and then to write them on the tablet of your heart to memorize it to to repeat it over and over and do whatever it takes to to lock it away inside of you write them on the tablet of your heart Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call insight your intimate friend. These things all come from the Word of God. Now, I want you to see, uh, there's, uh, this, is, this is really the main point of all of this text. right? Because what happens after this text is the ramifications of not doing this. If you will not read the Word of God, if you will not treasure it, if you will not write it upon your heart, if you won't treat it as the apple of your eye, what comes next is typically going to be your fate. And he says, he explains it here in Proverbs 7, verse 5. So we read read this, and he says, what's the reasoning for it? To keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress, with her smooth words. Notice the adulteress doesn't have harsh words or hard words. It's always smooth words. It's always the smooth things that go down easy. Um, I think of um, pets, when, and even when I was a kid, there were some times when I just I needed to take a pill, and my mom would knew that I didn't like to do this, 
And she, she would make it smooth by coating it with peanut butter or, or candy or something like that that would make it easier for me to take. The words of the adulteress are this way. She doesn't shock you. She tells you what you want to hear. She gives you what you want to taste. Therefore, you take her pill of poison. Now, in, in this text, we see um, a, a narrative of a man in the ne- this next verse. He says, For at the window of my house I have looked out through my lattice, and I have seen among the, the simple, I have perceived among the youths a young man lacking sense. <clears throat> and what is this ma- young man doing that's lacking sense? He's passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house in the twilight in the evening at the time of night and darkness. Now there's two quick things I, I would like to point out in this. Why is this young man lacking sense? Because he is playing where the adulteress is. He is being in her area. He is not protecting himself from by separating from her. Secondly, it's at night. Now young men... You should be busy enough during the day that you don't need have time to parouse around at night. Do things with work with your hands to the point that you want to sleep at night, not walk around where you shouldn't be walking around. The Bible goes much into many different results of of the, the sluggard. And some of those things are depression and all kinds of things that, that come along with this. But young men, and for all of us, if you are a sluggard, you will be found out by sin. It will find you and it will seize you. And it will grab you. And it will hold you. And it will punish you. Don't be a sluggard. Be busy at the work God has given you. Whether you're a young man or a young lady, or an older lady, or an older man, be busy at what God has called you to do. Now, in our culture, oftentimes that translates into a job. But for um, you know, if you're if you're eight years old, you don't have a job yet, but yet you do. Your job is to know God, to love and to serve your parents. Now, there is time for recreation, but our culture has exploded it by the millionth degree. Young people, you should be serving your households, even at eight. This culture where we pamper kids and let them be, we call it let them be kids until they're 30 years old, and then we wonder why they don't move out of our basement, is wreaking havoc. Young people, learn to work while you're young. Don't be in the streets at night. Don't be where sin is prevalent. Don't spend your time around people who aren't living for Christ. We, we joke of this often about young teenage boys. And, and we say, do you know how to get a, a normally really nice young man to do something crazy stupid? You put him with two other young men his age. His IQ drops immediately. 
And that's what we do in the public school. We weren't designed for this. We're actually doing the opposite of what we should be doing, and I don't want to go down that road too far. Let's continue on. She seizes him and kisses him, and with a bold face she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices, and today I have paid my vows. So now I have come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly, and I have found you. Now what I have, I have, when we read this, what we find of the prostitute is the prostitute is religious. The prostitute checked her religious box. And in fact, she is saying, I just did my religious thing. Now I've got that freed up. I got that box checked. Let's get on with sinning. Let's get on with luring. Let's get on with trapping. Let's get on with doing what the world does. And in fact, in our culture today, we, we have the same. People think they're Christians because they go to church. They do the right thing. But then they go out and live as everyone else lives. Continuing, I have spread my couch with coverings, covered colored linens, from Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. For my husband is not home, not at home. He has, he has gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. At full moon, he will come home. With much seductive speech, she persuades him with her smooth talk. She compels him. I want you to see here, she thinks her sin will not find her out. And in fact, that's the promise she makes towards the one whom she is luring. Come with me. Do what I'm doing. The one who would catch us is a long ways away. We will never get caught. Friend, that is the promise of sin over and over and over. And yet the Word of God says your sin will find you out. It might not be today, but it will find you out. And what did it cost him? The man whom didn't hold the commands of in this, his father, didn't know them, didn't submit to them, didn't hold them dear, did what was opposite or contrary to what his father wanted, found himself in the street at night. Because of his position, he found himself being lured. And because he is being lured, it will cost him his life. Now we live in an era where people think that they are strong. And they can, they can go to the bars, and they can go out at night, and they can go to parties, and they can do this and that, because they're strong, and after all, God is the one who is, the Holy Spirit is the one who is keeping them. And I would tell you, if you think this way, you lack sense. You are the foolish young man. If you think you are strong, be ready lest you fall. Your pastor can fall. You can fall. I've heard crazy things of, of people whom claim to be men of God who want to counsel wives alone. They are fools. Are you hearing me? They are fools. They heed not the Word of God. They don't believe what God says of them. 
They think they can do what God tells them not to because they are strong. And in fact, they aren't. They're just like you and they're just like me. Don't put yourself where sin will capture you. We, we've talked of this often. If, if you can't handle your computer, don't have it. If you can't handle your phone, don't have it. If you can't handle it, if you allow your child or teenager or, or even adult boy that lives in your home, if you allow them to go to the room alone with their phones and computers that are un, unrestrained and unmonitored, you are a fool. It is the adulteress. You've given them unrestricted access to the adulteress. Don't trifle with sin. Don't trifle with the evil one. Now, let's let's go back to the beginning. I want to look at this in a different light. And we, we've hit on it a little bit, but Proverbs seven five it says, "What is the reason that we should be? Um, what is the reason the word of God should be the apple of our eye? What is the reason why it should compel us to read it and to know it and to spend much time in it and to write it upon our hearts? What is the reason for this? The reason again is to keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress, with her smooth words." Now. I would like to take a little bit of a shift looking at the adulteress because we see her as we read Proverbs as what it would be, a father talking to his young men, young man about the wicked woman downtown. But the, the Bible speaks much of the adulteress. We read specifically of her in Revelation 7, 17, 1-6. It says, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. And he carried me away in the spirit into a, a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of, a blas full of blasphemous names, and it had seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written the name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of, of earth's abominations. And I saw the woman, drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. When I saw her, I marveled greatly. We're told of this prostitute or this, um, this mystery Babylon religion. This mystery Babylon false religion that would spread throughout all the earth. And in fact, all false religion is tied back to this mystery Babylon. It just has different variants of one way or another. 
And in, in the Old Testament, we found very often how when Israel would turn from God, he would accuse them of being prostitutes and, and or accuse them of being adulterers, of sleeping with a prostitute. And in fact, we find the same in our modern day in your and I's hearts that need delivered. We see the same thing at play. We have the wonderful, wonderful groom of Christ, the perfect groom, the perfect one. I've met a lot of grooms. I don't typically like the grooms when I go to weddings. Sometimes, if, if you were from my church, I would. <laughs> I watch how they behave. Not, not Non-Christians, I watch how they behave. I watch what's important to them. I watch their alcohol flasks. I watch them joke with their friends. I watch them smear cake in their bride's face. And while our world thinks it's funny, I grieve. We have the perfect groom. If you're in Christ, you have the perfect groom. And what do our hearts do? They go for the prostitute. They go for the idols. They go for what the world lays before us as saying, this is good. They go for our opinions. Uh, as we thought about in Sunday school, the obstinate one, the stiff-necked, those that would have their own opinions and come to the Word of God and see that the Word of God contradicts them at times and yet says, well, I know better than this. Friends, American Culture 101. Yeah, we know the Word of God says this, but that's old-fashioned. We know better than that. We're progressive. We're moving ahead. We don't need God. They sell themselves out to the prostitute. And they like it with their smooth words. And they enjoy it. And look what the, look what the, the, the mystery Babylon prostitute. You know what the, the end of it becomes? It says, And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Christ. See, this mystery Babylon prostitute is false religion. It's all of it. It doesn't matter if they claim Christ or not. If they aren't Christian, if they aren't in Christ, if they are something else, they are mystery Babylon. They, we talk often as the Gnostics of how they, they wanted to separate our bodies from our spirit and say, well, I can sin however I want because my spirit does its thing and my body does this thing. It is a complete contradiction to Diction to what Christ has done for you and I, yet they would say we are Christians. And those same people who claim to be Christians who contradict the Word of God, they will be the ones who are spilling the blood of the, the saints. They will be the ones who are putting them to death because they will not tolerate someone saying what the Bible says. Look at Revelation 17.15. And the angel said to me, the waters that you saw 
If you remember that last text we read started with that she's on the waters. It says, the waters that you saw where the prostitutes is seated, prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. What does this mean? Mystery Babylon is what prevails. It is what is normal. It's what is mainstream. It's the multitudes. The multitudes will spill the blood of the saints. The multitudes will put you to death for standing for Christ. It's the multitudes. Proverbs 7, continuing on 6-9, through nine, For at the window of my house I have looked out through my lattice, and I have seen among the simple, I have perceived among the youths a young man lacking sense, passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house in the twilight and the evening, and at the time of night and darkness. He treads in darkness. And friends, you look at our culture, and even those in the church, or in what they would claim as American Christianity, they tread in the darkness. They do what is contrary to the Word of God. In fact, I, I, um, it's been a year or two ago, but I talked with somebody, and, and, and I know that it's normal, but it, it's heartbreaking. Their 12-year-old girl had a doctor's appointment that week to get put on um, the pill. And the reasoning is, is well, you know, we can't, I can't afford to have one of those. You care more about your pocketbook than your child's soul? What have we become? You're going to turn your daughter loose so she can do whatever she wants and you won't have to financially suffer for it? What are we doing? Why don't we love our children? What are we doing? We're drinking from the prostitute. We say, well, that's what the world does. That's what our friends at school do. Men, you are called to care for your daughters. You are called to protect your daughters. And there were, have been times in my life where I have said, I can't protect my daughter at this moment because there's something far worse going on, like taking my wife to the emergency room. And I have looked to other men whom I deeply trust and I have I've allowed them to watch my daughter for a time. And there's times when we need to do that, and, and that's what we are here for as brothers. But men, you are convinced by our culture that you're going to turn over the care and protection of your daughter to a 16-year-old boy? What are we doing? And then give her a pill so you don't have to suffer for it? I find none of this in the Bible. It's mystery Babylon. She is deceiving you with her smooth words. 
She's saying, but your kids, your kids need to grow up so they can enjoy the prosperity that all of the other Babylonians have. And we make our choices based off of that. We, we say we care for their soul, but our action is completely contrary. Because it's more important that they get a good job. And they make lots of money so they can check the boxes and do the same thing with their kids. And where does it say it ends up? Usually in death. What are we doing? The waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are the peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. Why are we trifling with sin? Why are we allowing our children to trifle with sin? Why are you trifling with sin? Why, is it, why does our culture, even the, the statistics say, even inside the church, why does our culture consume four, five, six, seven, eight hours of media per day and can't find time to read ten minutes of the Bible? We're deceived by the prostitute. We're playing the game that everyone else is playing. We're trading in our groom for the idol. Naturally, what happens in Proverbs 7, 10 through 12, and behold, the woman meets him dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. She is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. Now on the street, now on the market, and at every corner, she lies in wait. In fact, that's where we find ourselves. Every time we wake up and we turn the TV on, there's the prostitute calling. Every time we look at the news, there's the prostitute calling. Every time we, we send our kids to school, they're surrounded by the prostitute telling them what they should care about and what they shouldn't care about. Today, I, the, if you saw the statistics on even the number of kids who go from K through 12 and leave the public school and and yet still a, a double-digit percentage of those people aren't even literate. You could do a better job training them at home if you did nothing. At least they wouldn't wonder which bathroom they should use. Friends, it's, it's the prostitute. It's Mystery Babylon. It's not just there. It's, it's when you turn the TV on. It's when you turn the radio on. It's all around you. You're, you're hearing these things over and over, and it's changing the way you think of things. I was in a discussion with some family the last couple of days, and, and the topic came up of school shootings again. And, and a brother of mine reminded me of this a while back, and so I had this in my, my ammo box, and I said, why would you be surprised at that? They go to school, they learn survival of the fittest, Darwinian evolution. That means the strong succeed, the strong live on, the weak die. They play that out in the school with guns, and you're shocked at it. They're just being consistent to what they're taught. Why are we surprised? Why are we surprised when we teach kids that they're animals and then they act like animals?
the prostitute calls out, just as the snake did in the garden. And while we, with our fingers and our judgment, we look at Adam and we say, Adam, where were you? The snake is coming through your TV at home. It's coming through the devices your kids are on. Dads, where are you? Proverbs 7, 22-23, All at once he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter, or as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver. What this means is till an arrow kills it. As a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. For many a victim she has laid low, with, and all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol. Her house is the way to hell. Going down to the chambers of death. This morning it, it breaks my heart to look at the world. And it breaks my heart to warn and to warn and to warn. But look what it says about the guy. He does not know that it will cost him his life. Today, you have no longer that excuse. If you continue to flirt with the prostitute of Babylon, it will cost you your life. You can say that you're Christian, and you can pray the prayer, and you can do all the right things and show up on Sunday, but if you continue to flirt with the prostitute of Babylon, it shows that you love not your groom. And if you love not your groom, you are not a Christian. You are not safe on the day of judgment. Our culture, though, would rather be comforted with a lie. Friends, I stay at night, awake at night and despair over you because I see what's there. I see what's out there. And it's this, it's Mystery Babylon deceiving you into thinking all is well until you find yourself at death. Summing up in Proverbs seven twenty four, And now, O sons, listen to me and be attentive to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For many a victim she has laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. Mighty, strong. Those that claim to be strong have been slain by her, and they are going down to the chambers of death. Friend, it's... It's precisely what we talked of in Sunday school. It's obstinance. And I deal with it all the I deal with it regularly as I counsel people. Counseling is very easy for someone who knows that this has the answers. Do you know all all that counseling is? Is me listening to you and telling you to start doing what you should have been doing before. But you know what happens? Most of the time they won't do it because they know better. They know better. 
They don't have to read their Bible every day. They're not a preacher. I've heard that from my own family. I don't, I'm not going to be a preacher. I don't need to spend tons of time here. You're wrong. This is life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Amen? John 14. Go to John 1. I am the, or in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. This is life. This is Christ. It's our revelation of God. To know Him is to have eternal life. This is the most important thing in your life. It's not what comes on TV this week at a certain time. Do you hear me? And if you don't know this, the prostitute has an easy day with you. She has an easy day. She doesn't even have to work hard. My son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments within you. Keep my commandments and live. See the, 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 the contrast? Go with the prostitute, die. Keep my commandments, live. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Charles Spurgeon, to his congregation, in one of his sermons, he says, there is dust enough on some of your Bibles to write damnation with your fingers. Is that you? Or on the contrary, John Roberts, the, Rogers, the Puritan said, cried out and said, Lord, whatsoever Thou dost to us, take not Thy Bible from us. Kill our children, burn our houses, destroy our goods. Only spare us Thy Bible, and only take not away Thy Bible. Is that how you see your Bible? Is it the most important thing you have? My friends, as evangelicals, we would be quick to say yes. Because we agree to truth, but we're very slow to apply. If you're not applying that, if you don't apply that this is the most important thing that you have, if that isn't lived out in your life, what you really mean is yes, but really no. Is it the Word of God? Do you know it? It's the only way you are going to defend against the prostitute. Now to move on, I have a, a slide that I want to I'll look at. Um, what has brought me to here? Um, I am not a politics guy, okay? I think I want you to hear this plainly and I want to I want to demonstrate why we're here. People don't vote politics, people vote theology. And you say but lots of people don't believe in God. That doesn't mean they're not theologians. Everyone is a theologian. All right? Everyone has a belief and if their belief is there is no God, then that's their theology. Okay? People vote their theology. Now on this scale, I have American Christianity. 
Now you'll notice um, I have their orthodoxy. What orthodoxy means is if you would say this is the Word of God and you believe it, you are, you are in orthodoxy. And that's where we would find neo-evangelicals. And when I was young, almost every Christian denomination would say, well, yes, we believe that's the Word of God. Yes, we believe that. You would believe um, 2 Timothy 3.16 that says, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. You would say, yes, I believe that. If you believe that, in our world today, that actually um, keeps getting farther this direction. Um, even within mainstream Christianity, um, that's becoming less and less. But if you believe that, you would be within orthodoxy. <clears throat> now to go further to the right, uh, we find obedience. We would find that you would believe in 1 John 2.4, which says, Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Do you believe that? Do you believe that text? If you believe that text, then you will be with me over in the fundamentalist side. And you'll notice in the last several years, our culture has been taught to hate that word. Right? If you're labeled as a fundamentalist, you're one of those people. Amen? Amen. So within, so this would be the range of what would be claimed to be American Christianity. Most, um, I was doing some research on, on it was a Pew Research article um, that listed different denominations, and this is just one topic, but it listed different denominations' uh, views on abortion. And of all the denominations listed, there were only two that said they were against abortion in all cases except for saving the life of the mother. And I, I understand that's a gray, but if, if two people are dying and you have to save one, then um, on the battlefield you have to save, make the same choices. And it's a different, different area than all the others. There were only two that would say that. All of the others had compromised. They compromised murdering children. They aren't in orthodoxy. They don't agree with what the Bible says. Amen? So what we find is this line continues to shift. And those lines continue to shift. And I believe, and, and you can, I'll give you two scenarios, and I'm not, this isn't my, I'm not the authority. I'm just, just telling you my observation. Um, I'm not questioning anything. I don't have any data. I don't understand. I'm not saying, I'm not making any assertions that the last election or any election wasn't real, because I don't know. I never studied it. If the last election wasn't real, it's actually easier for me to swallow than if it is. Because if it is, and people are voting their theology, it means these lines are, are increasingly coming this way at an alarming rate. And hear me this morning, this is American Christianity. <clears throat> and somewhere in here, is the line, hear me well, 
Somewhere in there is the line between saved and mystery Babylon. Because mystery Babylon was religious. Are you hearing me? If we went just off of, if the data is real, and we went just off of the data from the last election, it would appear that most of American Christianity is mystery Babylon. That's not Christianity at all. How can I say that? I see church leaders supporting abortion. I see church leaders marrying those of whom they should not marry. I see just as we studied in Sunday school where it said not only did the the king, but also the people and also the priests all went away from God. And friends, this isn't surprising. And do you know why it's not surprising? The cycle repeats over and over and over and over again. We've seen it with the Israelites. God makes them His people. They begin to do things that God told them not to do. That results in them falling away from God. That results in God being extremely patient. As we talk for hundreds of years, God is patient. Will my people come back? And then it leads to God's judgment has arrived. It leads to now you'll be slaves of the Egyptians. And after lots and lots of years of being enslaved, enslaved by God's grace, people start to come to their senses and they start to, God begins to draw them back. And if God is beginning to draw his people back, do you, do you know what, what starts? His people begin to pray. His people in the, in, in the midst of darkness, they, they take their eyes off of fighting darkness. They take their eyes off of politics and all these silly things that we think can deliver us that actually can't. And we start to pray. And we cry out. And we cry out. And we cry out. And at some point in the darkness, the Bible uh, as we've seen in the past, God hears the prayers of the afflicted and God delivers them. And the people celebrate and they, they build memorials to God and, and they, they repent and they come back to Him and they begin to obey Him again and they begin to do what He's called them to do. And then, they start not obeying every single thing. And then they start to marry those whom would drag them even farther down the road. It's the cycle over and over and over. But within this cycle, the people are soothed by smooth words. They're soothed by what's normal. They're soothed by doing what everyone else does. Well, my neighbor doesn't have to um, as we read this morning, um, my neighbor doesn't have to let his field rest for a year. 
So he's he's got all the food. Obviously, if God is going to want us to have food, we're we're not going to give our field a rest. It's always this human reasoning. It's always when the human reasoning begins to say, God, your word says this, but I know better. Surely you need my help. God, it doesn't seem like you're doing what what I've asked you to do. Surely I need to intervene. I I watched a a blessed sermon by Vody Bauckham last week, and he talked about unanswered prayers. And he says, sometimes people come to him and they say, I have prayed and I have prayed and I have prayed, but God hasn't answered my prayer. And Bodhi takes them to the Scripture and it says, God hears the prayers of His people because He didn't answer it in the timing and the way you thought He should. You're going to accuse Him of not hearing your prayers in the the way that only Bodhi can do it. He says, you better check yourself. Because you're in deep sin right now. The Bible says God hears your prayers. Quit thinking that your way is better than His. Quit thinking that you are smarter than He is. Where are you at on this line? Do you believe the Word of God? You obey the Word of God. Now understand, when when we go to obedience, that doesn't mean we're perfect. We still have flesh. We still struggle. But what it does mean, and, and obedience doesn't save you, right? But what it does mean is if God has given you a new heart, if you are redeemed, if you are adopted into His family, you change from I have to obey. You change from uh, you change from the excuses, like, well, you know, I'm human like everyone else. Have you guys ever heard that before? Well, everybody sins, you know. Um, sometimes I'll, I will call people to repentance, and they'll be like, "Well, everybody sins." If that is your defense, I fear for your soul. Because there are things I struggle with. And there are things, by God's grace, I have elders who will come to me and confront me. And at times I still struggle. And if my reaction is ever, well, everybody sins. I have a theologically bankrupt position or I don't know God at all. Because the heart that's saved struggles with their sin. They war against it. It grieves them. The response isn't, well, everybody sins. The response is, is, you're right. And I hate it. And I'm tired of it. And I fight against it. Brother, would you help me? Brother, if I don't make a doctor's appointment and by the time I see you again, I want you I want you to ask me about it. And that's I just don't like doctors. I'm sorry. <laughs> and I need that. And that's just a silly thing. There's other things that I struggle with worse. My response isn't, well, everybody sins. 
my response is, is I love Christ. I don't want to sin against him. Even in small things. Friends, this is this is the most common thing I hear inside of mainstream Christianity. If I talk to someone about their sin, it's well, everybody sins. I am terrified for you. Because the redeemed heart doesn't want to sin against God. The redeemed heart says, even though this doesn't seem right to me, your word says it, so I will obey. And friends, I'm with you. I have a flesh. You you might not believe this or not, but my wife has to tell me this sometimes. She's like, what? Just a couple of weeks ago, I said, well, uh, you know, I've tried and I've tried and I've tried and, and it just, uh, this isn't changing. I can't change people. And she says, why don't you just do what you're supposed to do? Because it's not working. Oh, God can't change them? I think it was Charles Spurgeon that he was struggling with things like that and he was down for several days and he came, I think it, I think it was Charles Spurgeon. He came to breakfast and all of his family was dressed in black. And he says, I must have forgotten. Did somebody pass away in the church? Who's passed away? And his, um, I would encourage you to read his autobiography and of his wife, but um, his, his wife replies, well, obviously God has. By your behavior, God has died. And Charles Spurgeon's response wasn't, well, everybody sins. He says, you are right, dear wife. What is wrong with me? And he said he was happy the rest of the day. <laughs> A little later, um, as we look at Mystery Babylon and Revelation, we see her judgment towards the end. I think it's towards the end or the beginning of, of 18. But we hear in, in verse 18, or chapter 18, verses 4 and 5, it says, Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. For her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. And I've said it before, and I tell you this morning, come out of her, my people. Come out of her. Come out of her, her roadways. Be separate from her. All the promises that this world promises you with prosperity and popularity and being the cool guy and it's all but a, a vapor. Come out of her. Go back to you, the Word of God. Feed upon it. Dwell upon it. There's so much. We have been deceived so badly. We have allowed others to teach our children things that we were called to teach them. 
We have praised group activities. We've consumed our time with them. The modern American family is with children is running nonstop. And they justify it all by saying, well, this is good for our kids. They'll learn traits that, that they need to learn. Friends, they were designed to learn them in the body of Christ. They were designed to learn them in the church. They were designed to learn teamwork and working together and bearing with one another and encouraging one another and relating to one another and relating to the old and relating to the young. It was all designed to be learned in the church. And yet we subcontracted it to the Romans. Man, go to your Bibles. The prostitute leads to death. She sues you with her words. She leads to death. Finally, this morning, as we we look at where we are as a nation, and we come to the, the time of Thanksgiving, and I've just started to read and to um, study more on the Great Awakenings in America, and we look at our nation in this day, and we wonder, how could God be so patient? How could He be so patient? How could He allow this to continue? His patience is overwhelming. And this Thanksgiving, if there is anything to be thankful for, it is for God's patience. As we look out and we see that, that it appears that time is very short, at least for the way we know the world now. It appears the time may be short even for the prostitute to begin spilling the blood of the saints. As we see all these things at hand, the time also looked short a few hundred years ago in America. And by God's grace, He awakened us men and women and children begin to pray. They begin to, dis- to discuss the things of God at the store and not which team made the most goals. They begin to discuss theology as they went about their day and not who did what on what TV show. Friends, there were dire times in America and God rescued us and brought us back. And perhaps God will do that again. And if He does do it again, we will see it happening in one way. We will see the saints begin to pray again. Friends, this is so heavy. The reason this is heavy is because when we look into the world and we see the ramifications of elections and voting and all these things, and we say, well, the world is falling apart. It's... it's it's the culture is the, the culture is on the verge of collapse. If you study the, the, the cycles of great nations in history, our culture is right at the edge, if not right over the edge of collapse. We're there. But do you know whose fault it is? It's not the media's. 
It's not the politicians. It's the church. The church isn't salty anymore. The church has comforted itself with perfume and cinnamon and myrrh. And I have to be careful there because the church actually is what's Christ. And so understand I'm talking about mainstream Christianity. The church is alive and well. It was bought by the blood of Christ. Our nation is falling apart because of our nation has turned its back on God. And it started in those who claim to be Christians. They begin to waver, they begin to not obey, they begin to say, We're advanced. We're beyond this. We know better. It's the same cycle. As we come to this Thanksgiving, I, I would ask that you would pray. Not, not just pray, but, but really pray. Pray that God would be continue to be kind. That He would draw us back as a nation Specifically, that he would draw us back as his people in the church. That we would find him to be the apple of our eye and not mystery Babylon. Pray that we would rise up again to pray and to, to draw near. Pray that we would be thankful for his patience. Amen? We, we hear this often, the, the, the Scripture in Joshua, um, and we have to be careful, but it is, it is part of a cycle that we see where it says, if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, that God will heal their land. I would call you this morning, turn, turn to Christ, turn to Him and live. His patience that He demonstrates to us by us still being here is a demonstration that He is still calling for you and I to turn to Him. He is kind. He is gracious. He gave everything. He gave His life upon the cross. God's full wrath, the only time in all of history His full wrath was poured out upon His Son for all those who would come to be redeemed by Him. God will forgive every sin of your past. He'll forgive every sin of your present. He'll forgive every sin of your future if you will humble yourself, trust in Christ, turn to Him, draw near. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come into Thanksgiving, Father, we can't help but be captivated by your patience, captivated by your kindness.
captivated by your kindness of preserving a people whom tend to stray and want to find other things to do. Tend to be captivated by everything else. And Father, if I was honest, that same flesh resides within me. That same flesh resides within all of us. And Father, we know we can't overcome them apart from your Holy Spirit. Yet your word says you you use our efforts. So Father, bring us to our knees. Bring us to our knees into your word. Let us not be an ignorant people of your word. We know everything else. We think. We know scores and songs and TV shows and games and so many soothing words from the prostitute. more than happy to distract us from what's real, to distract us from what's best, to distract us from what's amazing and great. We would sell out for a couple of pretty cockroaches. Father, help us. Father, for your name's sake, for your glory, would you rise up within the Midwest people who desire you above all, who are consumed with knowing you, who are consumed with living for you. Father, would you raise up Another great awakening? Would you deliver us from the whore? Yet, Father, if you won't, or if you're not, if it not be your will, would you raise us up that we might glorify you in our remaining days? Would we walk, would we be raised that we might walk through the valley of the shadow, standing for our King? Fathers, we think so much of wars and rumors of wars. Would you remind us the biggest war is going on within our houses? biggest war is going on within our pockets of our devices and computers and TVs. The war is in full scale war. Would 
you help us to see it as such? Would you drive us to our knees? Would you captivate us by you, that we might glorify you in Christ's name? Amen.